an icon is a representation, usually it's painted or carved, of a person who is regarded as a symbol of a particular faith. Christianity is no example. Throughout the history of the Christian church, uh, icons have been a part of our faith. And some churches are full of icons. Some people have them in their homes. At least for us as Christians, the Jesus icons are a, a visual, I'm sorry, a visual representation uh, of a reverence that we have for the person of Christ. But icon can also mean something else, because we have cultural icons. In fact, I was reminded of that this past, uh, past couple of weeks when I was in Cuba. I was reminded of two things about cultural icons. One is cultural icons usually represent some segment of society, and those cultural icons are not always the best representations of those parts of society. For instance, last couple of weeks in Cuba, Che Guevara is the the icon of the Cuban Revolution. In fact, he's become so popular that his picture is on buildings, on walls, on t-shirts, jewelry, you, you name it. His picture is everywhere. In fact, he's almost sort of become the international icon for revolution. But there's some others, and as I name these people, I'm sure not just their picture will come to mind, but what they represent. Some of the cultural icons, past and present, James Dean, Bob Dylan, Walter Cronkite, Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, John Wayne, Marilyn Monroe, Mickey Mouse, and Bart Simpson. If I say Babe Ruth, what do you think of? If I say Walter Cronkite, what do you think of? You think of the news. If I say Michael Jordan, what do you think of? Basketball. See? Those, those are the, the faces, the icons that, that have, have come to be known and associated with those particular segments of society. But even Jesus is a cultural icon. Because to many who are outside the faith, even some who are hostile to Christianity, Jesus is way at the top when it comes to cultural icons. Images of Jesus appear everywhere. They appear in stained glass. They appear on t-shirts. They appear in jewelry. They've appeared in famous paintings. Uh, some people have tattoos of Jesus. In fact, not too long ago, Jesus was even on the cover of the National Enquirer or some other tabloid in the supermarket. However, Jesus is much more than an icon because Jesus comes to us not as an image, but rather as a person. And he comes to us to develop a relationship, not just so we can have a mental picture of him. He wants a relationship with us. And he wants a relationship with us on a lot of levels. And so that's what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter, is the idea that Jesus is much more than just an icon. Jesus is a person that wants a relationship with us. And he relates to us as our friend and our teacher he relates to us as our Savior, but he also relates to us as our Lord. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Today we're looking at Jesus as our friend. And if you look up friend in the dictionary, you'll find a variety of, of definitions. One is basically a person 
uh, attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. We all, we all have friends, people that, that we really like and enjoy spending time with. Uh, it can also be a person who gives assistance uh, or who is a patron or a supporter. If you support, for instance, uh, the Pittsburgh Symphony, uh, you are called a friend of the symphony. If you support the coal industry in West Virginia, you can be a part of the Friends of Coal. It can also mean a person who is on good terms with another. Uh, in other words, a person who is not hostile, which is kind of an interesting thing. If you think about it, at least on those terms, for instance, as it relates to the United States, Great Britain is our friend. It doesn't mean that all Americans like all the people in Great Britain and vice versa. It just means that we have a friendly relationship instead of a hostile relationship and that we're allies. Also, it can mean uh, the member of the same party or nation or whatever. So those are just some of the... The definitions of friend, if you looked it up in the dictionary. But what we want to see today is, what, what is Jesus talking about when he wants to be our friend? Well, to do that, we're going to be looking at John 15, verses 9 through, uh, through 17. And you can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like, or it will be on the screen. John chapter 15 begins with the last of the seven great I am statements of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the gate. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here as he begins uh, chapter 15 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the, the idea is that as branches... We need the vine for life. That we have the privilege of being attached to the vine, who is Jesus. And as long as we're attached, we have life. Because branches in and of themselves have no life. They're dead. And they only live if they're attached. And also, the other part of being attached is that in order to bear fruit, you have to be attached. So for life itself and to bear fruit, Jesus is saying that he's the vine. He's the one we want to be attached to. And if we're going to have real life, and if we're going to really bear fruit for him, we need to remain attached. But then when he gets down to verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus always emphasized his relationship with the Father. His relationship with the Father was intense. It was personal, and quite frankly, it's kind of beyond our ability to really fully understand. If you think about the love of God for his co-equal son, his co-equal son who was like him in all things, his co-equal son who was always pleasing him, his co-equal son who was willing to be obedient even unto death. And that's a relationship that Jesus emphasized that did not change when Jesus when God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, the relationship with the Father did not change, even though he took on our form. It's difficult for us to fully understand that kind of love. It really is. But one thing, instead of trying to figure it out, is that we just need to understand that if Jesus loves us as God the Father loves him, there is no love better. You will not find better love anywhere. So rather than trying to figure it out, just realize Jesus gives us the best. But Matthew Henry, in an old, old commentary, puts it this way, and I just really like this. 
He says, as the Father loved Christ, who was most worthy, so he loved his disciples who were unworthy. Kind of wrap your mind around that. The idea that certainly the Father loved Jesus and Jesus was worthy of that love. But Jesus in turn loves us the same way, even though we are unworthy. It's an amazing kind of love. The fact that, that he would love us, a, a people who neither wanted him nor recognized him uh, when he came. That even in spite of all of that, that he would obey God's will and that he would come to earth and that he would die for our sins. And he says to us, look, you need to remain. You need to stay in that fellowship of that love. Now when we talk about that, when we read that and, and we read where Jesus says, remain in my love. It's easy to just think of that as some kind of mystical idea. Now, what does it really mean to remain in his love? Is it just kind of some warm and, and fuzzy feeling that, that maybe we have? But Jesus makes it concrete. It's not just some mystical idea. He makes it concrete in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Let's turn it around just a little bit. The, the way that Jesus remained in the Father's love was Jesus obeyed God's commands. And Jesus is saying to us, look, if you're going to remain in my love, the way to do that is, is to keep my commands. It's something that's rooted in action, not in theory. When, when Jesus says to remain in his love, he wants us to do something. Just like he does something with God. He's obedient to God. He wants us to be obedient to him if we indeed are going to remain in that love. And then he says in verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus says, so that my joy can be in you. This is amazing because when he's saying these things, in just a few short hours, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tried and he's going to be crucified. Yet even knowing that, he claims here that he's joyful. Regardless of what he's facing, he is joyful. And where does he find his joy? He finds his joy in being obedient and following God's commands. That's where his joy came from. And so what he's telling the disciples and what he's telling us, I believe, is the idea that there is a joy in following God and obeying his commands. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to remain in my love. I love you beyond your wildest imagination. I want you to remain in my love. The way that you remain in my love is by following my commands. But he says, look, following my commands is not drudgery. It's something that brings you joy, just as following God's commands makes me joyful. We try to find joy in all sorts of ways. We try to find joy on our own. We try to find joy in being disobedient. And it just doesn't work. The only way that we are really going to find joy in our lives, the real joy that, that Jesus wants us to have is if we are obedient and we live obedient lives. It's when we stray from that obedience that we find ourselves in trouble, that we lose our joy. But as long as we're obedient to God, Jesus says, look, I have joy, and I'm going to face this. You can have joy in obedience too. 
verse uh, 12. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. We're talking about being friends today. So now Jesus gets around to, to using the word that you are my friends. One of the things I think when you look at this set of three verses, the temptation for us is to really focus on verse 13, which is greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And it's easy to do. That's a great verse. But what happens for us a lot of times is we've kind of, in the Christian church, we've kind of romanticized that verse. That sounds like some kind of noble, romantic thought that greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. But what I think Jesus is saying here is Jesus is not saying, look, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for you. And so that after the crucifixion, you can look back and you can kind of almost go, oh, Oh, greater love has no one than this. Now, certainly, the idea that God would die for us. There is no greater love. And this is a great verse. But we've kind of missed the whole thing. Because I really don't think verse 13 really means what we want it to mean. Or means what it's supposed to mean if we leave out verse 12 and verse 14. Here's why. Jesus has just said that you will have joy, how? By following his commands. So, in verse 12, he gives a command. He says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And verse 13 shows us what that's like. And he would show them exactly through his death what that looks like, so that they would have a visible understanding, and so we would have a visible understanding of exactly what it means to love others as he loves us and exactly know exactly what a high standard that is. And then verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do that. In other words... You're my friends. If you have this kind of love, if you follow this command that I gave you, love one another as I have loved you, here's what it looks like. And Jesus says, you're my friends if you do that. Now, Jesus commanded us to do a lot of things. Jesus commanded us to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the poor, to preach the the gospel. And those are all important things. But the ultimate, the ultimate test is are we willing to lay down our lives for others? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to be required to die for a friend. Very few of us actually will have to do that. But what it does mean is that you're willing to die to yourself for your friends. That, that your desires, that, that what you want, where you want things to turn out, become less important than someone else's life and what maybe they want or what their desires are. 
The idea that, that when you lay down your life, it doesn't just have to mean physical death, but you can lay it down in other ways for others. You know, our lives are precious. And what Jesus basically says is that, look, life is precious, but even it's of secondary importance to me because you're my friends. And he wants to know from us, are you my friend? Are you willing to do that? Now, it's got to be careful here. Because you could say, okay, well, so in other, in other words, for me to become Jesus' friend, I have to be willing to lay down my life for someone else. Actually, that's not what it says. Th this verse, this verse 14, is not talking about how you become a friend of Jesus. Because to become a friend of Jesus, this might imply that you have to do a bunch of good works or think a bunch of good thoughts. But that's not how you become a friend of Jesus. In fact, it's impossible for us on our own because of our sin, because of our separation from God. It, it is impossible for us to do anything that would qualify us to become a friend of Jesus. Jesus made friendship possible because of his death on the cro cross for us. And it is possible for us to become his friends only because of his grace and not our good deeds. So if this verse is not talking about how you become a friend of Jesus, what is it talking about? This verse is actually talking about visible evidence that you are his friend. Visible evidence that you are his friend. He is your friend. He died for you. He made a relationship possible. He initiated it when we didn't care. And so the question he's asking here is, I am your friend, but are you my friend? And what's the visible evidence for that? Jesus is our friend. He chose to die for us. And we are his friends, and we show that we are his friends if we keep his commands. It goes both ways. Because a lot of us, we love the idea of Jesus being our friend. Oh, we love to sing about it. We love to think it. And he is. He is a friend. Don't get me wrong. But what happens is a lot of times for us, here's what happens. Jesus is our friend if we need something. Jesus is our friend if we're in trouble. Jesus is our friend when it's convenient. That's not how it works. Jesus is our friend. But it works both ways. We need to have visible evidence that we are his friend. And Jesus says the ultimate test of that is if you're willing to follow this command of loving one another as I have loved you, which means you lay down your life for that person. So, this mutual friendship, what does it lead to? What does this mutual friendship lead to? Listen to verses 15 through 17. It says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. 
For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. A little reminder. This is my command. Love one another. Someone has defined friendship as knowing the heart uh, of someone else. It's that idea that, that you trust someone with your deepest thoughts and your deepest feelings. And, and I would venture to say people that you trust 100% in your life are few. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But the idea that the, the, the person that you feel like you can share anything with and they have your good at heart and that they won't use that information to do any harm to you those people are rare but that's a deep friendship you confide in them they confide in you because they trust you but Jesus also confides in us and this wonderful verse where he says look I no longer call you servants because quite frankly A servant doesn't have any business knowing the master's business. The master is under absolutely no obligation to share anything with his servants about his life, about his heart, about his desire. It's simply, I'm the master, you're the servant, you do what I tell you to do, and that's the end of it. Jesus says, look, you need to obey my commands, but I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Because when you obey my commands, we come into this wonderful, special, mutual relationship where not only do you share with me, but I share with you. Because you're my friend. Jesus shares with us. And what happens? is he entrusts us with the things that God entrusted to him. Imagine that. When we are his friends, he entrusts us with the things that God has entrusted to him. Which means that he will disclose his plans and his purposes to us. He'll he'll share his thinking with us. He'll share his goals. He'll share his motivations with us. We'll come to know him better. And we'll know his heart. Not just knowledge about him. We'll know his heart and his mind. And we'll have greater discernment of his will for us. And we will hear the voice of God more clearly. And our thoughts will become more like his thoughts. And we will carry out his purposes in the world. And our intimate friendship with Christ will bear fruit in the kingdom. Jesus has made it possible for you to be his friend. He chose you. He's calling you. But the question for us, though, is are we his friend? Something you need to think about today. But as you think about it, just think of the wonderful, wonderful benefits of having a friend 
who is the Son of God, who is willing to share with us the very things that God shares with him and has entrusted us to carry out his mission on the earth. That's a wonderful friendship. He's going to keep up his side. How are we doing on ours? Let's pray.